Hello, friends. Today, we're going to be discussing something just a little different. Now, in recent years, many people have been coming forward and telling their own personal experiences, more and more, where they have vanished for some period of time, but then came back, either with a bizarre story to tell or no memory at all of where they had been, what they had seen or done, etc. Many of these cases happen to children, usually very young children who, if they told a fantastical story of something strange happening to them in the woods or forest where they ended up lost, it could easily be chalked up to a wild imagination of a frightened child. Although many have noticed a pattern or two here in these particular cases, with children especially. And what follows are just a few cases where children seemingly vanished into thin air and or under bizarre circumstances, only to come back with a tale equally as or possibly even more strange and incredible as the disappearance itself. The earliest report of something like this happening is from August of 1897 and takes place in Masardis, Maine, United States. Now, this part of Maine is known for its extremely dense woods and forests and many lakes and streams running around and throughout. Again, be on the lookout for patterns here or parameters which are familiar to many of our other videos on this channel. I say this because this whole incident started with a six-year-old little girl named Lillian Carney who was out with her mother picking berries. Blueberries, as a matter of fact. The family wanted to spend a nice, relaxing day together in the woods of Mullen Bog. According to Lillian's parents, the girl had vanished from right under their noses. Now, while exact details aren't very clear this far in the future as to exactly how the girl went missing, her parents simply said she was seemingly there one minute and gone the very next. What started as a small preliminary search turned into more than 300 searchers, all calling out for the girl by name and looking through every known inch of the woods, all to no avail. Lillian was gone for almost two entire days and nights. After scouring and searching the entire forest and woods, 46 hours after her parents had reported her as missing, Lillian was found alive, just a couple of miles from where she had first disappeared. So, in all that time, she hadn't gotten very far. Why hadn't the over 300 searchers and professional rescue teams found her? I know in the 1800s they didn't have the technology or knowledge of forensics like we have today, but still, you'd think they'd have searched the area where Lillian ended up. She wasn't very mobile in the amount of time that she was missing. It's not as though she were walking around the entire time either. Around 10 o'clock in the morning on the second day of the search, a man named Bert Pollard found the missing girl. Despite immediately crying out for her mama, Lillian seemed healthy, happy, and even content when Bert found her. She was still holding the berries in her hand she had picked while in the presence of her family before she disappeared. Now, this is some two days later, almost. Her father had just gotten done telling her that she must be careful, for some berries found in the woods could be harmful, even deadly and poisonous. The little girl was scared. Perhaps these fresh blueberries were some of those bad kinds, and while she dared not eat them, she didn't think to get rid of them for some reason. Yes, that's right, she carried around a handful of blueberries for 46 hours while lost in the woods and trying to find her way back to her parents. Lillian seemed absolutely fine and didn't have a scratch on her. When asked what had happened, had she wandered off? Why? Here is what the young girl had to say. Lillian, in a perfectly calm and matter-of-fact voice, informed everyone she was, quote, in a place where the sun was constantly shining, unquote. 
This was strange because she was missing for 46 hours. She'd gone missing during the daytime and was found in the morning as well. Therefore, she would have had to have experienced at least two nightfalls. It's just not possible for the sun to have shined the whole time. Obviously, the sun doesn't shine all day, but sets eventually. In addition to the sun apparently never setting in this place Lillian claimed she was at the entire time she was missing, she also told people there were strange beings the size of her cat who she would keep away from her by clapping loudly. Allegedly, it would startle the being and, like a cat, it would run away. Some people wondered how she clapped with holding a handful of berries. Perhaps she laid them down picked them back up again. We don't know that part of the story. But that does make this story even more bizarre. Why had she been so adamant to keep these fresh berries with her when she wasn't even sure if they were poison or not? It's a question no one thought to ask her, and therefore, unfortunately, we don't have an answer. While she said the beings she encountered were the size of her cat, and some sources even reported the girl saying the beings even resembled her cats as well. However, that one detail about what the creatures actually looked like has never been revealed. She was only six, so some of it must have been hard for her to describe and put words to. She also said she had heard the searchers looking for her, but hadn't been able to at first clearly hear her name, so she didn't reproach and actually hid for fear they were vagrants or strangers. She only heard strangers yelling loudly in the woods, and her six-year-old mind couldn't put two and two together to realize they were there to rescue her. It's unknown if Lillian even realized rescuing was something she was in need of. The girl seemed to be just fine where she was, at least in the first few minutes she was found. Once she finally heard them shouting her name, though, clearly and was sure of it, only then did she show herself. The searchers and the authorities, of course, searched the area and the surrounding area of where Lillian was eventually found, but they found no entities or creatures that looked like cats, and in fact, nothing strange at all. Night came and went as normally as did the day. Many of the people involved chalked this up to a scared six-year-old's wild imagination. Thinking, or perhaps even pretending her pet cat was there with her for comfort, and possibly playing pretend that the sun was still shining, so as not to have to deal with her inherent fear of the dark. This is exactly the point many have been trying to make, not just about Lillian's case, but of all the cases of children who have vanished and returned in this way. Is whatever this is, whatever is happening in the woods, and who or whatever is responsible, are they purposefully choosing victims who won't be believed simply because of their age or their intelligence, no matter what it is they have to say? Could be. Or so it seems, at least to some. We can discuss this in the comments later. Now, the local press reasoned that the sun Lillian was seeing was actually the moon, which was full, and in the clear country sky, and she thought maybe it was a dimmer sun. Also, they insisted the strange beings she was seeing were rabbits. These rabbits were allegedly what she likened to her cats. Although... In reality, neither of these could possibly be the case, however, because, upon further investigation, turns out it was overcast both nights she was missing, and therefore the moon wouldn't have been visible to the little girl. The sky would have actually been much darker than normal because the stars and moon would have been covered by this overcast state. Also, about the rabbits. Lillian was from the region and knew the difference between cats and rabbits. With all the attention on missing people in the woods and national parks these days, all these questions with very little answers and people like us just trying to figure it out 
we're bound to come across some strange and bizarre tales of the woods, any woods. These extremely peculiar cases take place all around the world. Our next case happened in Sweden in 1922. An eight-year-old boy named Austin Engstrom left school with a friend, and instead of going straight home, the two young boys decided to go to a third friend's house, where there were many of their schoolmates just playing together, as eight-year-olds often do. When Austin had finished playing with his friends, it was around 3.30 p.m. and time for him to take the usual short and very familiar walk home. It was something he did so frequently, he said later that he could have done it with his eyes closed, and if the walk was any shorter, he just may have been able to. However, by 7.30 p.m., four hours after Austin was last seen leaving his friend's house to walk home, his parents started to worry. His mother sent his older brother Gustav to go and find him and bring him home. Gustav was able to track down some of Austin's classmates who he had been with earlier. The children told him they hadn't seen Austin since he had left, alone, at around 3.30 p.m. Gustav walked Austin's entire route home, the same way he knew his brother would have gone, but found no sign at all that he had ever walked this direction. Gustav became very scared and very worried about his brother. He was deciding how he was going to break the news to his parents, especially his mother, about the fact that he wouldn't be bringing Austin home. He was thinking about this and who knows what else, I'm sure, as he walked into the house. He immediately noticed, however, that he didn't have to be sad or worried after all. His brother Austin was sitting there on the couch next to his mother, telling an extremely strange story about what had happened to him and where he had been for almost five hours. Other than shivering due to being extremely cold in temperature, Austin looked perfectly fine. Terrified, sure, but physically fine nonetheless. Now here's what eight-year-old Austin had to say about his almost disappearance. He says he was walking home when, for some unknown reason, he randomly, and for the first time in his life, decided to take a shortcut through the woods. He essentially felt the need to go through the deep woods and forest instead of staying on the clear trail which he was so familiar with. He went on to explain that the entire woods had seemingly come alive, in his words, with all kinds of wildlife crawling out of the bushes and trees, just coming literally almost out of nowhere to scurry around in front of him in a seemingly playful manner, just to scamper off again just as quickly, and he says the skies grew suddenly dark. The day seemed overcast, but strangely it wasn't, as the sun was seemingly still shining so brightly down. It's like some veil had been thrown over the sunny day. What he described sounds like when storm clouds roll in, how the sky looks and how the air starts to feel. It was like that, only no storm was rolling in that day. Suddenly, he said he smelled something very gross and acrid. Something unlike anything he'd ever smelled before. And he later went on and explained, quote, I looked up and noticed three gray objects hovering silently above me. They were so close, I could have thrown a stone at them. The objects were pulsating as if they were breathing, and I saw two dark lines on them. A bit further away, over the woods, another two objects were floating. They were bigger and darker than the ones above me. End quote. He apparently blacked out or passed out after he saw these pulsating objects both above him and in the distance. He claims the next thing he remembered was lying on the road, in the pitch dark of night, not too far from his home. He was freezing cold and disoriented. When he relayed all this to his parents, they attributed his claim to his wild imagination. Gustav swore he had thoroughly searched the road and the exact spot even 
where Austin claimed to have been when he came to. Between the time he left his friend's house at 3.30 until he wandered home around four to four and a half hours later, other than the objects he saw in the sky, Austin had absolutely no memory at all. Years later, Austin would be interviewed by some UFO researchers from Sweden, and here's what he explained to them all these years later. Quoting here, Where was I during those hours? I estimate having been gone for around four to four and a half hours. When I arrived home, I almost got beaten because they thought I was lying. They sent me to bed, and I was bedridden for four days. Probably I'd caught a cold while lying in the road. It looked as if the objects were pulsing simultaneously, all three of them, just like octopus functioning. They take in water and move by blowing it out. It looked like the objects used the same technique. They moved in a very elegant way, changed direction, and appeared to steer with this pulsating. Where was I? Gustav cycled this way while I was lying there without seeing me. I've pondered this so many times. End quote. Now there's still no word as to what happened to Gustav. He went to his grave never knowing the answers. We know that most likely since the beginning of time, the woods and forests of this earth have attracted countless legends and myths, creatures of old and beyond. The thing is, we can never really tell what's true and what isn't. Even those of us, like myself, who have experienced strange things in the woods, what is the reality of what we saw, and what was our minds just filling in to help us ease the shock and possible terror we just witnessed? Are these tales based from reality, or has reality created these tales of necessity or whatever else? As I've mentioned previously, these types of phenomena take place throughout every country and across every culture. The next alleged true tale takes place in Ethiopia in the 1960s. There was a nine-year-old boy who was unknown, so we'll just call him Joe. Joe from Ethiopia. I know, I know. So anyways, Joe and a friend of his named Gabriel were playing in the backyard of his home. It's worth mentioning here that the whole yard was fenced in. As the boys were talking around and doing whatever little boys do, Joe says he turned for a split second to shoo away a fly, and when he turned back to Gabriel, he was gone. Allegedly, though, and let me set the scene for you, Joe and Gabriel belonged to the 1% of Ethiopians at the time who were the ruling elite, the 1% who were wealthy. Joe's father was the Minister of the Interior, and Gabriel's dad was supposedly a four-star general in the Ethiopian army. Allegedly, the backyard from which Gabriel disappeared from was surrounded by brick walls that were 10 feet tall. Armed guards patrolled outside of these walls and the fence as well. So where did Gabriel go? This was big news. The disappearance of a high-ranking general's kid, especially in a place like Ethiopia in the 1960s, everyone thought it was going to end up being a political kidnapping. Remember, both kids' parents were very high-ranking, wealthy, and important members of society. Gabriel was gone without a trace for six whole months. The investigation into his disappearance turned up nothing that entire time and literally never went anywhere. What kind of leads could you possibly have with a kid who was there one second and gone the next? Joe stuck to his story because he alleged it was the truth, and we all know, especially in this community, the truth doesn't change. A little after the six-month mark of the day Gabriel simply disappeared, he returned. Actually, he returned just as quickly and seemingly out of nowhere as he had originally vanished. One day, 
He was just there. He was simply standing in almost the same exact spot in the backyard from which he had vanished that day while playing with Joe. Upon reappearing, Gabriel was dazed and confused. Once that it was confirmed that he was physically okay and unharmed, everyone started asking him where he had been and what had really happened to him. This is where the whole thing gets so much more unbelievable and a bit fantastical, at least to some people. Gabriel claimed he had been taken on a trip by some nice men. He stated he was in a bright, all-white room with hundreds of other kids, all playing and talking excitedly, just as confused as Gabriel was about where they were and most likely how they got there. He said there were so many children, all from different countries. The nice men, who, according to Gabriel, had been the ones to take him on this trip, had been Caucasian. He explained how surprised he was when he realized they spoke Ethiopian as fluently as he did. He also said he could understand the other children, even though they appeared to be different nationalities. It was like, although nobody spoke the same language, they could still all understand each other somehow. The white glowing room he was brought to and kept in had no windows and the doors seemed to blend into the walls. Essentially, there was no way out. There were buttons on the walls for all different things. If he pressed the button for a bed, a bed would come right down out of the wall for him to sleep on. He told of how one moment he was in this white room and the next he was standing in the center of a huge city. He had no clue how he'd ended up there. Kind of like how he ended up being transported somehow from the backyard to the room in the first place. He said the city was glowing and sparkling, immaculately clean. There were other people there who looked strange like us, but different, he says. Us meaning humans, I suppose. One of the nice Caucasian men stayed with him and took him to a very tall building where he had to stay in another room for a while. However, Gabriel stated that that room was fun. It was an entertainment room, which had the same buttons as the first room he was teleported to, allegedly, but these buttons allowed him to travel to other places. Example, one button brought him to a beach, the other a desert, yet another a mountain. Though he was always alone and always contained in the room while somehow simultaneously traveling to these places. Again, he instinctively knew he couldn't leave if he'd wanted to. He claimed the room could even fly. After staying in this room for what he thought was only a few hours, he was back in Joe's backyard in Ethiopia again. And here it is, once again, I thought it worth mentioning, when the person doesn't realize how long they've been gone. Gabriel was gone for six whole months and thought it had only been a few hours. Now, of course, nobody believed Gabriel's story. Keeping in mind here how religious a country Ethiopia was at the time, most thought him to be possessed by the devil. He was even forced to see some local priests to help rid him of these demons. That's all we could find on Gabriel's story besides that he is extremely intelligent and had a really smart career and ended up working in Holland. There are so many stories like this, some more believable than others. I could never fit them all in one video. Remember the tale of Robot Granny? There's even more to that story when you delve just a tiny bit deeper under the surface. You'll find that the grandmother herself had her own strange and possibly related encounters her grandson in the same woods just a month or two earlier. With this, though, we wanted to present some lesser-known ones, and whether or not you believe these strange tales, I hope, as always, you are entertained. I look forward to your comments. Until we meet again, be good to yourselves and each other. 
I'm Steve Stockton, and I'll talk to you next time.